0: Well hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. And if you have wondered why friendship at time is so complicated, you are gonna to wanna to lean into the conversation that I'm having today with my new friend, Andy Andrew. She is here today to help us do away with the drama and create authentic connection. Andy is the author of She is Free, Fake or Follower, and her newest book, Friendship It's Complicated. She's also the founding pastor of Liberty Church, a multi-site church she pioneered with her husband, Paul, in 2010. She's the founder of She is Free, a movement that exists to engage and equip women to encounter God and expand the kingdom. Yay, all of those things. <laughs> and... Um, Uh, She's also focused on her raising her four kids she's writing books she's creating for her podcast coffee with Andy and she's traveling to invest in other churches and lives all around the world and she took a break from her busy schedule to be with us here today on the podcast. So welcome Andy I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to finally meet you. <laughs> me too. Me too. We've I've kind of followed you for a while, and we have mutual friends, so I'm so excited to finally get to sit down and talk. I loved your new book. I have it right here. Friendship <laughs> is complicated, and I can't wait to dive in and talk about it. Um, but before we do that, I just I kind of skipped over some of the parts of your life story, and I would love to know a little bit about you. Grew up and you know felt a, a pull toward Australia. You lived in Australia yeah. for a while, and then this moved to New
1: York City. So Share a little bit about your backstory for people who may be new to you. I would love to. So, I mean, I grew up in a town called Spokane, Washington. Not too many people hear about it. It's right on the border of Idaho. a hop, skip, and a jump to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Um, and so I grew up there in really a quite a controlling church environment. So I walked away from God at a very young age. And um, fast forward to the summer of 1998, and I radically encountered Jesus at this mm. other church that my parents took me to and I get saved and, um, and just found out that there was a Bible college in Australia. And I thought, why not? Like always a little bit adventurous and up for like something fun. So I just really prayed and sought God and thought, well, why not go? And I did. And within the first few months met my husband, we were dating six months later. And six months after that, we were engaged. And six months after that we were married. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, never did I think that I would live a huge chunk of my life. Some of My formative, really Christian years, my 20s were in Australia. Hmm. So I lived there for almost 10 years, had my first three kids. I don't know about any of the listeners, but I had three kids under the age of three, which was a wild time. And, you know, actually, my first book was birthed out of that time when I had a bit of a breakdown after that, you know, because you know, I've always it is a lot. And I've always said, you know getting married shows you how selfish you are and having children shows you how angry you are and all my issues mm-hmm. just started coming to the surface mm-hmm. and um anyway so Lived there, and then, gosh, even when when I had my firstborn, I felt I ha- I had a prophetic dream. I hope that's okay to say of that we were in in New York City because I know some people dreams are biblical. They're in the old yeah, and the old I love it. Mm-hmm. And I had this dream, and I saw the back of three children, and we were on the subway on the way home from a church that we had planted. At that stage, when I had that dream, we only had one child, mm. and fast forward three years, three kids. They look like stair steps, and the Lord awakens New York to us and. Mm. 11 years ago we um, picked up and moved our family here and planted and pioneered a church here with multiple communities in the city and outside of the city and um, we have weathered the storms of the last couple of years and and here we are so that's kind of what brought us to New York City and where we are at this
0: moment. I love it. I love it. And you know, the podcast here, Andy, is heard in over 130 countries. So Australia is one of them. So that's hello wild. To, yeah. Hello to all of our our Aussie friends. I have yet to go to Australia. It is on my bucket list. So hopefully, yeah. at one point, I will get a chance to be there. But. You know, we have a couple things in common, And We both pastor, our husband's pastor mm-hmm. as well. And so you're intimately acquainted with relationships, the good, bad, and the ugly of them. And, you know, yeah. if you're involved mm-hmm. in anything, basically you're, you're up close with a relationship, but especially in a church setting or in ministry. And so mm-hmm. I, I loved your book. I felt like it was so insightful. I think it's such a challenge for so many of us. And we want mm-hmm. our relationships to be stronger and healthier, but we just don't always have the roadmap of how to get there. So I am so grateful you're writing in this space and kind of taking on this tricky topic, but I loved that you wrote this statement, our relationships inform us and form us. Mm -hmm. And you talk about how this was very true for you, especially as
1: you were growing up. So can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, I, I would love to. That for me has is such a major statement because what I realize is truly all of the relationships around us, they form us and they do inform our lives. So thinking about those formative relationships that we have, our mother and our father or lack thereof, and how those very much form the way that we view all of the relationships around us and the way that we look at the world. There is some of it that is nature and some that is nurture, right? So Um, but the very first chapter in the book is called the woman wound. And I, I start with the woman wound and we go on a journey and we end with becoming spiritual midwives, but we have to start, we have to go back to move forward. We have to allow Jesus to heal those places in our hearts and lives that have been wounded so that we stop blaming other people for all of our issues. So, what I realized when it came to relationships with other women, I mean, I got to this point about five years ago where all of my female relationships, the close ones and the not so close ones, they were kind of burning to the ground around me. And I felt like the Holy spirit said to me, Hey, Andy, you are the common denominator in every relationship that you're in. So I started to dig deep in there and realize that, you know, a lot of the ways that I looked at female friendships were through a lens of my relationship with my mother. Sure. And so I realized I had to unpack that woman wound, that mother wound that I had. And I want to say this, um, that my mother and I have a very restored relationship, but growing up, it was not good. And she allows me to write about it. I had to get um, legal permissions to write about it. And she even writes part of chapter one, but what I realized from a young age that I learned from my mother was, um, was codependency, if you will. And that was because, um, I was her emotional mother. So, um, I was the person, my mom, now I know in hindsight, what she was walking through. Of course, I didn't know as a young girl, but my mom would unload on me all of her issues. She would emotionally ask me to carry things that I couldn't fix or carry. She would talk to me about inappropriate things. And that was from the time I was very little till I was, uh, you know, a tween, a teen and a young adult. Sure. And so basically what I realized is that I started to do that in my adult relationships. I started to, become, have a savior complex, carry things for people emotionally. And they would let me. And then when they realized that I was not enough and I realized I wasn't enough, I would do that whole like self-preservation thing and walk away. And so I realized I needed to walk in healing in that. And that's really the premise of where the book starts is that we're going to do some open heart surgery to heal. Yeah. Um, so that, cause once again, we really, we, we can't control anybody else's choices. We can't control the outcomes of what somebody else does, but what we can do is have self control and walk in healing in our lives. And so that's really where we started. Um, And and so pay attention to the relationships you're in right now and what part you're playing as the common denominator, what part you're not playing too. Cause there's some Mm -hmm. stuff that's just toxic and you need boundaries and, There's a whole lot to it, but yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, there's so much as you dive into, and I know we only have a chance to scratch the surface, but I appreciated your vulnerability, Andy, in the book and bringing your mom in. There is so much talked about with father daughter relationships. And I know men listen as well here on the podcast, but there just isn't as much that's addressed about woman to woman and especially our formative years. So I appreciate that. I think it's a conversation that needs to be had Mm. that maybe hasn't been had enough, So thank you for leaning into that. I I had Mark Batterson on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he said something so similar to what you just said. He said, we have to bury dead yesterdays before Mm -hmm. we can imagine unborn tomorrows. And I think we we just don't realize sometimes that we're we're dragging kind of this dead stuff into our relationships from, Mm -hmm. from formative situations early on. And until we can unpack that bury mm-hmm. those dead things and then move into, and, and imagine the fact that we can have better relationships moving forward. And maybe you're yeah. listening and feeling like, Oh, I'm just struggling with friendship. First of all, I think a lot of us do more than we want to say. I think online yeah. is so deceptive, right? Andy, like, Oh, look, I have all these friends, but then yeah. you're sitting down face to face. Like you got to deal with the mess of it all. Yeah. And, um, I just think we have to be honest about, okay, maybe it's not as easy as we sometimes make it out to be and, and yeah. how do we move past that? So I appreciated all the vulnerability that you offer in the book. You kind of touched on self-preservation there as you were yeah. chatting because your book helps us to to also do away with so much drama that's, you know, involved <laughs> in relationships, yeah. Which yeah, is very insightful. And you say this self-preservation is willfully choosing the pain of isolation, over the potential of messy, godly connection. I'm going to say that one more time because it's so good. So if you find that you self-preserve in a relationship, she says this, self-preservation is willfully choosing the pain of isolation over the potential of messy, godly connection. So, Annie, can you talk about that that kind of that statement and especially the relationship between competition and security, drama, all these Mm -hmm. things that cause
1: us to move into a posture of self-preservation? Yeah, well, we all have our thing that makes us want to self-preserve. And, and so I think for me, even through this amazing um, intensive of counseling that I did, they took us through this whole this whole progression that has really helped me understand why we self-preserve because again it's different for every single one of us it could be competition it could be the need to um be seen it could be but you feel like you're not seen it could be insecurity it could be fears it could be literally drama and trauma that you have from past relationships and you're just not willing to try again or be around other people or let yourself be vulnerable So this progression was really phenomenal, and I think it'll help people to understand why they self-preserve. But the first thing is, is we live on planet Earth so that we all have wounding. I mean, Jesus has come to recover all the losses, yet we still have the enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so there's, there's going to be wounding in our relationships. And when we're wounded, the enemy comes in and he loves to lie to us. He loves to lie to us. And usually we grab onto that lie. And when we grab onto that lie, what do we do? We start to build a little stronghold around ourselves, or we self-preserve and we can self-preserve with anger, with fear, with control, with manipulation. Those can be many different things that we, 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 we've put up a front to protect ourselves. And behind that little Self-protected wall. What we do is we start to make vows and say things like, "I'll never trust another woman again," or "I'll never go to church again," or "I'll never, never, never." And those vows are really unhealthy because they actually we believe in those vows more than we believe in our vow and our intimacy with Jesus Christ. Mm, that's and good. So, so yeah. So then, so from those vows, what do we start to do? We we start to operate from a false self. Yeah. And so we can actually break that down. We just have to pay attention in the quiet and the stillness and time we God and go, okay, what wounding has informed, or, or I forgot to talk about the false beliefs because it goes wounding lies, false beliefs. And then mm. you build the stronghold because the false belief system is really, really powerful because, because yeah. you know, when you walk into a room, that false belief system, if it starts playing, like that woman was not going to talk to me, I think this about her, nobody thinks this about me. So yeah. we have to actually break these things down. We have to, figure out, we have to go, okay, God, where was I wounded? Okay. What's the lie? I believe there. God, give me a truth instead of that lie. That's and true. then we have to ask God, okay, what's the false belief that I'm building, uh, believing, give me a true belief. Okay. What am I protect self-protecting with and self-preserving with Lord? I repent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to do something different. What vows have I said? Okay. Renounce those vows. And then you'll find that you start walking in your true self into all of the relationships that you're in, whether they make it or not, and you start mm-hmm. to realize that all I can do is walk in healing and, and express the need and the desire for genuine connection and, and really, um, make some effort at doing that too. And so, um, to refuse to self-preserve it's difficult and listen, I'm really good at it. Everyone thinks I'm like, here's so outgoing I'm like, I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm not because we all have wounding that causes yeah. us to want to self-preserve. So we have to pay attention to that. There's so much that you just showed so good, so much good, rich
0: insight in that my husband, I went through an intensive counseling a few years ago, very similar, what they walked us through that process. You were just outlining. And for some of us that are listening, strongholds really are false beliefs that cemented. And so at the point that we're dealing with a stronghold now, it's something that's so overpowering. It's hard to demolish because over time, you know, it's not what happens to us so much as what we believe about what happens to us, and so when those mm-hmm. beliefs begin to form, and especially if they're contrary to re- to truth and yeah. contrary to the Word of God, before we know it, we've got something cemented in the way that we operate, and we yeah. don't even re- necessarily realize we're bringing that into this into the equation. So that was so great that process you just outlined, guys. You know, jot that down, those steps, and we walk through exercises, Andy. Even when we came back from that intensive counseling years ago. Of taking situations that maybe went a little sideways, or we felt awkward, or a friendship conversation went weird, and we walk through. Okay, where was I self-preserving? What lie was I believing? What false belief? You know, yeah, kind of got to do it over and over. It's not a yeah. one and done. You kind of got to walk through situations. And another thing I love about what you had said in that quote is that it's not like we're going to just just because even a relationship is godly, doesn't gonna it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean it's not going to be messy. So I think what I was drawn to in that quote is, okay, first of all, you're choosing it. I mean, that's hard to hear, but we choose preservation as opposed Mm -hmm. to being open. We choose isolation. That's sometimes have a choice the last two years, but when we have a choice, we can move out of isolation and just accept and normalize the fact that just because a relationship is godly doesn't mean it's not going to be messy. Now it can be healthy. But if we're looking for perfection and I related to you talk in the book about if you if we feel like from the get go, we're not going to be good enough. Yeah. We're already, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're already sabotaging before we've even gotten into it. So I think to help us know, as you do so beautifully in this resource that don't expect relationships to be perfect, be OK with with a, with a messy godly relationship is still so much better than the pain of isolation. So thank you for kind of coaching us through some of that. You also give us some starters to kind of uncomplicate friendship, you know, Mm -hmm. so maybe talk a little bit about boundaries, why that's important, you know, as we're uncomplicating, we we've got to also still have some healthy boundaries in place.
1: Anything you want to share about that? Yeah, I would love to. So even at the end of the chapter on navigating betrayal, which I was like, Oh wow, we're going to go there and write this. Um, I really felt like what I had to help people understand is as you walk through betrayal, you may, there may be reconciliation in a relationship after the drama of that sort of thing, but there may not be. So you have to, you actually have to grieve that loss. It's really important, but then you also have to put boundaries in place that are healthy. And so I just want to read to you a little, um, a snippet of the book that helps us understand boundaries. And I think even when we have a healthy relationship with like one of my best friends, um, I still have boundaries in place. Yeah. And so this is what we have to know is, um, I just write this on page 65. My husband preached on boundaries to our community of believers. And in short, here are his reasons why boundaries matter. Number one, boundaries are about valuing ourselves and others. When we practice healthy boundaries, we are empowered to build relationships grounded in love. Number two, there's just three. So don't worry, I'm not going to go on and on Um, boundaries inform us. If someone crosses one of my boundaries, the world doesn't fall apart but it's as though a warning light appears on my dash. It's information and number three. Yeah. And number three boundaries protect us. We are each called to guard our hearts. So that includes our values, thoughts, feelings, passions, sins, weaknesses, history, and strengths. And so I think with that, what we have to understand with boundaries. So, I mean, I would, I would tell everybody to go and read just the boundaries book in general, you know, by cloud and Townsend. But I think that alone, even in healthy relationships, whether that's your marriage with your children, with your friends um we have to know what is ours and what is somebody else's sure and i think that that's something where we have to get good at going hey i love you but that's not for me to fix or carry i'm going to need you to do the work in your own life with that mm-hmm. when they keep throwing it over the fence to you or breaking down your fence for you to fix it you know you have a boundary issue it's informing you and so those are the sorts of things where we have to just get bold and strong in our relationships um with other people and also speak your expectations so unspoken expectations really are the breakdown of a lot of relationships and don't. And I think if we can just get good at going, Hey, you know what? I, I didn't realize this, but I didn't tell you, this is a need that I have. Is that something you're even able to meet as a friend? If not, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. Um, because some of us, I mean, I have four kids. I'm not able to meet all of my, I have a couple of really close single friends. And sometimes I, I just have to go, I'm so sorry. I'm just, I don't have the energy nor the time to do that for you. So we have to get good at communicating those things too. And being okay with other people's expectations
0: where they are, different seasons. Yeah, I have friends both younger and older than me. One might have their grandkids all day long, and they can't grab a bite for lunch, or one might be taking care of their, you know, yeah. two or th- two to five year olds. I'm an empty nest, so it's a different seasons can even affect our abilities to to, to get together. It's not that we don't want to, but being creative about approaches to it and clarifying expectations. Me as a pastor's wife and a pastor, I'm sure you relate to this, Andy, I can't yeah. talk to everybody on a Sunday. Sometimes my, no. even my dearest friends don't even see me. So there, if there's an expectation that Sunday is some kind of an opportunity to get to know me, or we're going to hang out or, yeah, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. So I yeah. think, You know, you have to almost my friends, I feel like sometimes have suffered because, you know, when you're a friend of of a pastor or a leader, they have to understand that there's especially in public settings, you're trying to avail yourself to everybody as much as you possibly can, which means being more creative to carve out time separately, you know, for friends um, one-on-one. And that kind of segues into something I want to mention. There's two key things I wanted to make sure we mentioned before we wrap up. One was your circles, which I thought was so good. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. And then you you start with this woman wound and you end with spiritual midwives, which was so great. And I just want to make sure we get a chance to talk about that for a second. But when we're talking about boundaries, even Jesus, Andy demonstrated boundaries. So, yeah. you know, to this idea of either we can't have friends or we should be everybody's friend, really either, neither one of those things are number one, healthy, realistic, and not even biblical. So Jesus modeled this, these circles, right. Of Mm -hmm. three of 12 and 72. So talk to us a little bit about how
1: we can be intentional about forming our friendship circles. Yeah. I think for me, when I, cause again, when codependency is a lens and an issue that you have to recover from, and you have to be aware of, you end up feeling like I do need to be friends with anyone, everyone, I need to be there for everyone. And then you wonder why you're burning out and you're finding yourself in the ER for like really a physical manis- manifestation of a spiritual problem. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and yeah. bad choices. And so So I ended up realizing when, even when I was not just writing this book, as I've been trying to live this out over the last five years, Jesus really brought me to how he did friendship. So if I'm trying to fight isolation, if I'm trying to be intentional, he's like, Hey, Andy, even I had a model for friendship. If I'm to follow in the way truth in the life of Jesus, let's follow in the way truth in the life of how he did friends. And so Jesus did have his three he had the three men that were closest to him in the most intimate settings of his, of, of his life, of the amount of transfiguration when his true identity was shown to them. And some of the greatest miracles that he did behind closed doors, rising, raising Jairus's daughter. Um, and when, when he was in the garden and crying out to God, can there be another way? Even though his friends were sleep praying um, he still brought them with him. You know what I mean? <laughs> And so he had these people that were in the intimate settings with him. And then he had his 12 that he was on mission with, the 12 that he was in discipleship with, the 12 that he spent a lot of time with, but there was a mission at hand. Mm-hmm. And then there was the 72 that he sent out, which you can look at that. And then there was the crowds, right? Yeah. So if if we can look at our own lives and go, gosh, what does that look like for me? Maybe it's one or two, not three. Um, but who are those people that I am truly vulnerable with, that I let my guard down with that see the hard parts and the good parts of who I am, who are the people that I'm on mission with, who is the community of believers that I'm worshiping with. And, and, you know, then, you know, your crowds, they're the people around all the time. But I think it's really important that we are intentional in that too. And I even put a graph in the book that I would, I would say, fill it out in pencil because you just may have to erase and figure it out again. But um, I think for me, that really took a lot of pressure off of me needing to be a performative friend for so many people Mm, and just go, So you know what, this is what I, I can give to people. Even when I'll get emails, texts, or DMS, and people are like, can we do this? And I'm like, honestly, no, but this is what I can give you. And so it's just gotten me good at doing that. And that's where boundaries come in, all of those things. So it really helps. All so connected boundaries are not, yeah. but boundaries are not a dirty word. You
0: know no. what I mean? And I think even in ministry, we think, oh, I'm not allowed to have boundaries. No, even Jesus had boundaries. There were times the disciples mm-hmm. were challenging him on some of those decisions. And he turned to one and said, if I want that, if I want him there, what is that to you? I mean, I don't yeah. think he said it with an attitude, but his point was, I'm going to make the decisions. I know what I'm doing. I know who yeah. I, what I'm imparting and depositing into people. And I think it also frees us up, Andy, from feeling like, you mean someone doesn't like me? Someone doesn't want to be my best friend. Like, it's okay. It's like, okay. We're, we're not all going to click with everybody and it's yeah. okay. I think we should, as Paul says, as, as much as it's up to you live yeah. in peace with people, but that's yeah. a very different thing from, I need to somehow make yeah. myself You know, a million pieces and trying to be friends with everybody, it's not realistic, it's not healthy. So, I loved. You leaning into Jesus giving us a model. I literally paused reading and sat down and typed into my notes app my three, which actually turned into five. Yeah. (laughs) Then my 12, and then started on like, okay, who would be kind of in that 72? Those are your larger, you know, women in leadership at our church. So it was so helpful for me. And then I took it a step further, Andy, and I paused and I texted some of them and said, Hey can we put a Galentine's night on for my 12? And then I said to a couple of my close girlfriends, okay, we haven't gotten together in a while. How about a brunch date or something? And I, I love that. And sat there and texted all of that. And I felt so fulfilled because I knew I was leaning into what I, I would need the most yeah. and not trying to just, Oh my goodness. Now we have dinners with people at large, but see, that goes into the 72 or mm-hmm. we'll have a church event where yeah. I'm not one on one, I feel like what we're saying is, guys, we're talking about the one on ones in your life, the people you allow closest proximity to. Yeah, um, there needs to be intentionality with that, and there needs yes. to be some some thoughtful preparation behind that. So absolutely. So thank you for giving us that permission to have both yeah. boundaries and circles, and to 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 just welcome relationship into our life in a healthy way. So talk about spiritual midwives before we end. This is a whole yes. section. I literally finished the book and I was like, that alone was worth the price of that book because your whole section on spiritual midwifery is so great. Just at least
1: give us a definition by what you mean by that. Well, yeah, I think for me, it's funny. I don't have like the technical definition here in front of me that I wrote down. Is not that, do you ever do that? Cause you write books and then you're like, Hey, what did I write? Oh, no, I know that terrible. <laughs> well, no. What I wrote is, I
0: just wrote one of your points down. Was that midwives celebrate women? They don't diminish them. Yeah, so I think it's women. You talked about just the fact that we we have this choice of like, just like women give help deliver birth, and you yes. used a
1: midwife. You actually talked okay. about, right? Yeah, so yeah. I will talk about that. So yeah. I- Honestly, for me, I think that's what I realized. A huge part of my calling in life is just to believe in other people and see the dreams in in their lives, the God dreams in them that actually bring the gospel forth. And so uh, what I realized in why this journey is so important and why ending on spiritual midwives is important is if we don't deal with our issues, we can never get to a point of delivering the dreams of if some in somebody else's life, Mm -hmm. we can never truly walk side by side. Someone else, if life is all about us and our issues and what we need all the time. And so becoming a spiritual midwife is truly someone who looks at another woman and it can be obviously another man in our life too, for cheering those guys on and going, Hey, I believe in what's in you. And I want to champion that. And we, I want to help you get a plan for that. And I want to bring that out in your life. Mm. I think for me, I looked at the women who delivered Moses and I tell the story about them and how they were told, no, you cannot deliver the, the women of Israel's, babies. And they were like, they just smiled and we're like, okay, cool. Well, we have a plan for life. And I think that's what we do as sisters is that when the enemy wants to bring death to our sister's lives is we have a plan for life. We have a plan to birth life and to bring life. Mm. And so I am really passionate about it. Yes. I had all of my children with midwives And I love the relationship. I love how midwives don't diminish you. They don't make you feel like an idiot. They don't. I think for me, when I walked into a hospital in New York for my fourth son, because I had my first three in Australia and it was a doctor, not a midwife. I went, you know what? I'm going to do a home birth and I'm going to find a midwife. Mm. And it was the best decision. I'm not, this is not a a statement for anybody out there. There are great doctors out there, but um, I just know when I walked into that um, hospital, I had already had three kids and the way that the doctor talked to me, the way that the people looked down on me and I went, you know what, there's no life here. I'm going to go do this in a way where I know someone who knows how my body works, knows what I'm called to knows what I'm able to bring into the world. And I want to do that. So that spiritually is what i I believe that we are, are called to do in, in the spiritual realm so that we can link arms and bring the gospel forth and walk in our identity and purpose and calling together. And I so, know. um, yeah, I'm, I'm re- really passionate about it. <laughs> I mean, and it's obvious because you make such
0: great points in that section. It's so great. If you're a leader if you're a women's leader of any kind, just going through that section with some of your leaders and, and helping to understand what does this look like for us to stop living in this scarcity mindset in this competitive kind of context that we bring on sadly to the table as women, that somehow Andy's success diminishes mine rather than realizing we're so much stronger together and the power of birthing life. And, but we've got to be healthy before we can do that. I think it's you that said, heal people, heal people, because, you know, hurt people, hurt people. We've heard that all of our lives, but healed people, heal people. And that was beautiful. So that's what God's calling us to do in this season. We're coming out of such a challenging season of isolation. So I wanted to talk about friendship. This is airing right here in February with relationships, whether it's Galentine's me. Me, my mm-hmm. galantine's night, and my husband when I will celebrate, but our relationships can be better. we don't have to be stuck and just feel trapped and unhealthy patterns or feeling like we just don't know how to have the friend that we're looking for. Yeah. So Andy walks us through this process of letting go of the things that are maybe looking at ourselves, being informed by our choices and our relationships and moving all the way into being that mentor, that spiritual midwife that someone needs you to be. So thank you, Andy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for this great resource and so much that you've shared with us today. So I love well, I want to ask you one last question, but I want to know how they can connect with you because I know people want to make sure they get a
1: copy. So yeah. where would you like for me to send them? Absolutely. I have to say one more quick thing. Sure. I completely forgot to say that the word midwife actually means together with women. Mid mm. means together and then wife with women. So that's that's the whole thing. Midwife, like together, together. with women. We're spiritually together with women. Anyway, so well, you'll you know see what that, that in the shows box. us is that from the beginning, you're talking way back in
0: Exodus that God intended for us to be working it wasn't just one midwife they they worked as a as Two. a pair mm-hmm. yeah and there's so many examples of that but God just lays out, even in the garden, we are better together period. Yes. So, yes. and if you're single and listening, I'm not saying you have to have a life partner as a spouse in order to have value. I'm just saying that if you are single or married, God is still calling us to be, to have good godly friendships. Yes. Now, if you are married, your strongest friendship should be your spouse period. Yeah. And beyond that, women need to have healthy, godly female friendships. Men need to have healthy, godly male friendships. So yes, together we can do this. So, so tell us where to go. I think it's andyandrew.com, right? And I'll put it in my show notes too.
1: Yeah. Andyandrew.com. Everything's there. And, um, all of my social media is the same. It's at Andy Andrew. So that is, and yeah, my name is spelled A-N-D-I. And then um, Andy R E W No S on the end. So, love it. <laughs> I a, know there's a male author out there named Andy Andrews. So it's you know that's so why you gotta. <laughs> well, when I first reached out to you, I had in my notes, Andy Andrews, and then I realized, oh, I
0: think it's just Andrew. So I've made that mistake yeah. too. And again, guys, the book is called Friendship. It's complicated. So I'm sure you can find it anywhere, but make sure you hop over, follow her. I follow her on Instagram, check out all things. Andy Andrews, such a, a powerful leading voice in our generation. And I'm so grateful for your voice, Andy, but before we wrap up and she's going to pray for us guys. I would just love to know this question because we talk about making our lives matter today. It's been making our lives matter through relationship and through friendship. But other than Jesus, what person in the Bible inspires you most,
1: Andy, to make your life matter? Oh, my gosh. I would have to say it's Peter. Um, Ooh, okay. Yeah. Which is, is kind of wild, but even I was woken up a couple of nights ago and just walking through, like the Lord is encouraged me, encouraging me with Peter's life. Hmm. And I think the thing about Peter that I love is his fervor and his passion. He's a little bit wild. He does things that sometimes you're like, why did you do that? Why did you say that? But he's all in whatever he's doing. Yeah, true. <laughs> and so even in his failure, I think what I am, um, I'm just in this season of because the last few years have been difficult of looking at the failures and having to put them to rest and go and grieving some of those failures that we've walked through as leaders and as people. And the Lord just reminded me when Peter went through his greatest failure of denying Christ, what did he do? He went back to what was familiar. He went back fishing And while he was fishing, the Lord just sat there and cooked him breakfast and also did something familiar for him at that moment of his calling. Mm -hmm. And I just think as I look at how Peter comes back to Jesus in that moment, and Peter loves him, or Jesus loves Peter and asks him, do you love me? Mm -hmm. And, and, and affirms his calling, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, take care Mm -hmm. of my sheep, the lost sheep of Israel. And then what does Peter do on the day of Pentecost? He stands up again Mm -hmm. And I think for me I get emotional cuz there's been so many moments where I just don't want to stand back up again and I feel like a total failure in mm-hmm. leadership in life. And what does the Lord do when you go back to the things that you shouldn't go back? I mean, Peter was called out of a life of fishing. And Jesus just sits there on the on the shore and waits for him to cook him breakfast and reaffirm who he is. Mm-hmm. And so Peter just shows me that no matter what we walk through, where whether we fail or fall, or don't do it the best, or are criticized for the way we do it. <laughs> but Jesus is always there to send you back in, and we can have the strength to stand up again. So, mm, so good. I love I Peter. I got goosebumps for you talking.
0: <laughs> I was getting emotional too. <laughs> and I just, I love, I love that story, and I love the fact that. Peter in his worst moment, denied Christ three times. Yeah. Part of what we talk on the podcast is discovering miracles in life's messy moments and relationships are messy. But if we look Mm -hmm. for the miracle and the miracle of that restoration is I felt like for every time, again, now I'm getting emotional for every time Peter denied him, Jesus restored him three times. He denied him three times. Jesus said, do you love me? So I feel like for everything that we feel like, is a mess up in a relationship. And, and, and maybe we've just like you said, I don't want to get back up. I don't want to try again at friendship hard, <laughs> yeah. or I'm too wounded, or I'm just too much trauma, yeah. or women are mean, or whatever we want to say. Yeah. Mean girls, it's a whole Broadway show. I mean it's yes. a whole Broadway show created yeah. around this topic. Yeah. But with God's restoration power, He can restore not only a friendship, He can also restore the places in our heart that have been hurt. Yeah. and that are afraid to try again. So yes. I can understand your connection to Peter and <laughs> he gives all of us hope, doesn't he? That, yes, he uh, does. <laughs> we can still do this thing. but well, before she prays, I just want to read today's truth that matters. And there's a section, a section of the book that Andy gives us five scriptures that provide this kind of biblical roadmap for friendship. And I I want to just share two of them here as we close today. Proverbs 12, 26 says the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Some food for thought there. And then Proverbs 17, 17, tough challenge, but I wanted to end with it. A friend loves at all times Mm. and a brother is born for adversity so much. We could actually just chew on right there, but dig into this book, guys. You're going to love it. Thank you, Andy. And thank you for even today, your vulnerability, your honesty with us and the way that you invite us to be honest about our own kind of failures, struggles and relationships, but the hope that they can get better and that we are born and designed for relationship and God wants us
1: to live fulfilled. So thank you so much. And uh, I'd love (laughs) you to pray over us. You've got it. Well, father. I thank you for every listener. Every man, every woman that has tuned in today and God, I ask that you would reveal to them your truth, that you would uncover um, any of the false belief systems that they have built around relationships and friendships and how you want to heal them and restore them. And I pray God, they would lean into that, that they would walk with you, that maybe they need to go back to move forward. And Lord, I just ask that you would begin to open up that journey of healing for them in this certain way. And I ask also, Lord, that you would give them the boldness again, the boldness um, and the strength and the bravery to try again, to step out and create and cultivate relationships, to be vulnerable with the few that you have called them to be around, to truly share where they're at so that they can walk in healing together with other people, because Lord, you have not called us to be alone. And um, like we saw it, saw and said, even from, from the garden, you saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And also even Jesus demonstrated that he didn't do life alone. And so we thank you for your example, Holy spirit, lead us, guide us, heal us, transform us. And may we be a people that birthed the dreams of others that walk side by side with linking arms, walking in our purpose and seeing the gospel move forward across the earth in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for
0: joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at cpnshows.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. So you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at angeladenadio.com Facebook at Angela Donatio VOV and Instagram at Angela Donatio. Until next week, let's make life matter.